0: excuse God says even if somebody has never heard about Jesus they've never heard about God our God you know they've probably heard of other gods even though that may have taken place when we look to the heavens when we look at creation we know there is a God and God says because I've made that so obvious in creation the people that reject me are without excuse they have no excuse because creation is is so uh, giving so much evidence of the living God It's undeniable, and yet we know that people deny creation all the time. Instead, they worship the creation, and they believe in evolution. And when I look at the mathematical probabilities of something like evolution happening, I don't have that kind of faith. It is impossible. It didn't happen that way. There is a creator who put everything together with order, and he made it by hand and by the word of his mouth, and he's the one that we should see when we look to heaven. It is amazing. It's an amazing thing to be able to see God, listen, when you can't see him. It is a spiritual discipline to believe in his presence and work, uh, work through the fact that he has not appeared to me now. He is doing his work even though I didn't see him do it. He is doing his work even though he didn't tell me about what he was doing exactly. And what I'm trying to do is tie this back to this little Jewish girl, Hadassah, and her adopted father, who is really her cousin, Mordecai. And these people are doing godly things all the way through, and we have. No mention of the name of God in the book. We have nobody that's even said to have given a prayer to God in the book. We have nothing about a prophet coming and saying, thus saith the Lord, and here's what you should do. No. These are everyday people making their way through life, and they're trusting God at every turn. Uh, These are the kind of heroes God is looking for, people just like you who maybe don't hear from God, who maybe don't have him send a prophet to you and tell you what to do, don't actually see him working, but you're following him, you're trusting him, and lo and behold, God just lays everything out in front of you and everything falls together and everything is working according to his power and his will because you believe that he is there. You believe that he is the power behind you. So I want to ask, have you seen God? in your activities and in your life and are you seeing him in your life now even if he hasn't spoken to you even if it's been a while since you prayed do you believe that God is there and that God is working you know what just because we're not being faithful doesn't mean God isn't going to be faithful God says even when you're unfaithful I will be faithful to you Uh, what a wonderful thing he has for us I wanna say that because we're diving into a situation where we have seen two people having not heard from God. uh, God is everywhere and they're doing the right things. And you know what, that's what we're supposed to do. We know a few things about what's gonna happen in the future because the Bible tells us about the end of the age, the end of the world. I personally think that the rapture of the church is very close and it could happen today easily or in the very near future. That makes me anxious. I'm so happy to have the holidays coming up because we'll have a few more people that come to church. People that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't know how to get into heaven when they die. And we're going to be able to share that news with them. I'm asking God to let you have opportunities to share your faith with people so that we can see a great insurgence into the kingdom of God with people coming to know Christ as their Savior. These people were faithful every day. Mordecai did the right thing. Esther even though it might have meant her life, did the right thing. And that's what we need to do. God may not be telling us every move that he's going to make. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in our world and, and could lay it out you know, chronologically because he didn't tell us chronologically all of it. So what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to be like Hadassah. I'm supposed to be like Mordecai. When God comes back, he wants to find us doing the things he told us to do. And he's going to call his faithful servants for that. Well, we have been down a long road with Esther. Last time we learned that uh, the, the whole plot of Haman to kill the Jews has been foiled and turned on its head and turned back. And we've also found out that Mordecai has been elevated to the position that Haman has left because of his death, because he was put to death by the king. And he is now wearing royal robes and he's second in command. And remember that, There is uh, the 13th of Adar, the month Adar, and it's coming, and we know that they have a right in the kingdom to put Jews to death. Well, that's been turned on its head now, and Jews can fight back on that day, and so that's in the 12th month, and here we read about it again, picking it up in chapter 9, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American 95 edition, and uh, you good church folks are purchasing me a 2020 edition. I can't wait till They can get that order, apparently they're out of stock. But here I am anyway. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Dar, on the 13th day, when the king's command and edict were about to be executed, remember that was Haman's command. He had the king's signet ring. He put his signet ring on it, and it was for the death of the Jews. The king was oblivious to all this. He didn't know what was really going on. But anyway, it's the king's edict because it has his seal on it. And as, uh, the Jews were about to, uh, that the Jews were about to be executed on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them. It was turned to the contrary, so that the Jews themselves gained mastery over those who hated them. Isn't it amazing? People say, here's what I'm going to do. And God says, really? You, you think you can do that and go against me? You really think so? Uh, not, not really. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's what God did. He turned the tables. Here's what happened then now that the Jews have been given permission to fight back. Verse two, the Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm and Noah could stand before them for the dread of them had fallen on all the people. Now that's dread that came from God on the enemies of Israel on behalf of his people. We read about that in chapter eight, verse 17 last time. So uh, it goes on to say, Verse four, I'm sorry, verse three, even the princes of the province of the people, the satraps and the governors and all who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them at the citadel of Susa, this is where the king is at at the time, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. My eyes are watering terribly this morning. I'm having trouble reading here. Now I've got to pronounce the ten names of the son of Haman. Here we go. At the citadel in Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. And Parshadatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adaliah, Eridatha, Parmashatha. Arisia, Aradiah, and Vazathiah. Oh, good, thank you, Lord, that's over. Uh, the 10 sons of Haman and the sons, the sons of Hamadatha, the Jews' enemies. I want you to notice this because it's going to happen again uh, down when we get to verse 15. But it says then, but they, the Jews, did not lay their hands on the plunder. See, Haman said, we're going to kill all the Jews on, on Adar 13th. They can't fight back. That's what Haman said. And when you kill them, feel free to take all their stuff, their houses, their money, whatever you want to take. You just take it. The Jews now get to fight back. And Mordecai gave them the opportunity, if you want to take their stuff, take their stuff. That's okay. Uh, You know, it's, it's the same on both sides now. But what happens is they protect themselves from their enemies. They put their enemies to death, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. That means their motivation is a lot different. On that same day, the number of those who were killed at the citadel in Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman at the citadel in Susa. Now we said that hanging in this book doesn't mean hanging someone to death. We said that normally they were put to death and then impaled on a pole. Remember, Haman built a pole 75 feet in the air to put Mordecai on, And then when the king had him killed, he put Haman on that. The sons of Haman are dead. But Esther's going to ask that they also be hanged, or the word really is impaled, in just a minute. So uh, we we get down to this. 500 people have been killed in the king's uh, city of Susa. And then he says, what then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your petition? So he says, wow, 500 here? What has happened in all the rest of the provinces? What's going on with that? If they killed 500 here, how many more? But notice what he does then. He says, now, turning to Hadassah, to Esther, he says, now, what is your petition? It shall even be granted to you. And what is your further request? It shall also be done. Then Esther, in a her, in her normal, polite way, said, if it pleases the king, but tomorrow will also be granted to the Jews who are in Susa to do according to the edict of today let Haman's 10 sons be impaled on the gallows. So the king commanded that it should be done so. And the edict was issued in Susa and Haman's 10 sons were impaled. The Jews who were in Susa assembled also on the 14th day. So this is one day after the edict of, of that month of Adar. And they killed 300 more men in Susa, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces assembled to defend their lives, to rid themselves of their enemies, and they killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. By the way, I just want to say it's easy for us to sit here in a nice heated church with padded pews who don't fight hand-to-hand combat, and our neighbors aren't trying to go out there and kill us today to try to judge these people who are in that situation they're trying to save their families, and you would have picked up a sword too, I would imagine. Anyway, in verse 17, this was done on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made it a day of fasting and rejoicing. Those are the people outside of Susa. But the Jews who were in Susa assembled on the 13th and 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th day and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. Therefore, the Jews of the rural areas who live in the rural towns make the 14th day of the month of Adar a holiday for rejoicing and feasting and sending portions of food to one another. Now we're going to learn later, I think the next sermon we have, well, we're going to learn that that feast is going to be called Purim. And remember, it's named after pur or pur, which means the casting of lots, and the Jews still celebrate that today. Well, in verse 1, going back to look at this a little bit deeper, the day doesn't always go as planned by people. Wicked people make plans, but God is in control. And this day that was supposed to be a destruction of the Jewish people is not going to be a destruction of the Jewish people. There was an intent on the part of the Jewish enemies. That day would be the day that they were waiting for. They'd been waiting almost a year for it to put the Jews to death. Their desire was to rid themselves of the Jews completely, moms, dads, and children. And they had legal authority from the king to do all that on the 13th of Adar. And that has arrived. But something they hadn't counted on is getting in the way. An alteration to their reality where the Jews have been given now the right, because of Mordecai, they've been given the right to fight back and defend themselves. And if you want to take the plunder of the people that fight against you, he gave them permission to do that. For those who hate the Jews, it is all about plunder. It's about getting what they have, it's about greed. For Jews, it's about staying alive and ridding themselves of their enemies. Uh, Who would have guessed how many people were in their provinces that wanted to put them to death? There had to be a lot of hatred in the country. Uh, people wanting to turn on them. And when he gave them a chance, they put to to death 75,000 people, another 800 in Susa, and it was all the enemies of Israel. Satan has always been after Israel, always trying to destroy her because she's such an integral part of the plan of God. And we've seen seen that in many places in history, uh, for instance, like in the Holocaust. The Gentiles are wanting to fight to gain mastery over the Jews, but that's not going to happen today. You know they want it to. The whole plan of Haman is being turned upside down and turned around in the opposite direction. We'd say the tables have turned. The hunters have become the hunted. No longer is there prey in a cage. It's not going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. It is a day where every Jew has had anxiety about until Mordecai's new edict came out that they could fight back. And now here it is. But now they can fight, and they do fight. Sometimes when God answers a prayer, we have to do something. We have to get involved. We have to be a part of what God is doing. But no one saw him physically doing what God was doing. Everything that's happening for the Jews, for Mordecai and Hadassah, or it's happening by faith. Verses two to 10. The people went forward by faith and miraculous things happened. The Jews picked up their swords, and they went out by faith. Notice, please, the Jews had to do something. They couldn't just sit there and watch the enemies fall on their own. They had to fight. It is obvious that they had to, and they planned to, because they wanted to save their wives and their children and themselves. Lo and behold, not one of the enemies could stand before them. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, that's a way of saying God's in control. God has this thing. God is doing a great work. This doesn't just happen this way. It took the power of God. The people, the Jews who are being fought against, none of them are trained for war. You don't bring the Jews into your country as a Persian king and train them to be your military and fight for you. No, you want to be able to put them down easily if something happens. Certainly their opponents were as able as they were with a sword, you know? Uh, You think about the person that lives next door to you or, uh, you know, across the quarter or wherever you're at, uh, and you think, I wonder who could do the sword better, me or them, you know? And that's kind of what it was like. Your neighbors were gonna bring their swords as well against you. And certainly there were some Persian military that did not like the Jews, and they were trained for war, uh, but that didn't matter to God. What do you see when you look at a situation what do you see when you see the circumstances? Do you, do you stop short of the circumstances and not move on to the God who's behind those things? Do you see him? Do you have one eye on heaven? There's an element here of what we call holy war. I want to show you some of those places. If you want to look with me in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 25. God has given him this battle in its holy war. But it says in Deuteronomy 11:25, no man will be able to stand before you. For Yahweh your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set your foot, just as he has spoken or promised to you. And then another one in 1 Samuel 11:7. These are all in your bulletin there if you're following along. First Samuel <clears> 117 <throat> he took the yoke of oxen, let me make sure I got the right place here, yes, for Samuel 11:7. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, "Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so it shall be done uh, to his oxen." Then the dread of Yahweh fell on the people, and they came out as one man to support Saul. So God's dread was used to get him to do the right thing there. And then in Isaiah, uh, chapter 19, verse 16. It says, In that day the Egyptians will become like women, and they will tremble and in the, in dread because of the waving of the hand of Yahweh of hosts, which he is going to wave over them. You know, when God gets involved in a battle, strange things happen, and the Bible records that in, in many places. I want you to look with me to uh, Zechariah, and uh, we're going to go to chapter 14, starting in verse 12. This is about wars in the end of days, all right, like that, that's going to happen in Damascus one of these days, probably not, not long from now. But this is what happened in verse 12, Zechariah 14. This is all prophetic. Now this will be the plague which Yahweh will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet and their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouth. And it will come about on that day that great great panic from Yahweh will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. In other words, People in the same army are going to start killing their their buddies. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered, gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also, like this plague, will be the plague of the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. Interesting. When God decides he's going to fight a battle, when God decides to make you afraid to do anything, then you don't have a prayer. You can't stand against the dread of the Lord, and right now the dread of Mordecai given from the Lord and the dread of the people of of the Jewish origin have been given this dread by the Lord for them, and they will not stand. Some dread has seized the enemy of Israel. Israel was dedicated uh, to Mordecai, who was also dreaded by the people of the land. That's all because of God. God didn't call Mordecai or come to him in a dream at night and say, this is what I'm going to do. But by faith, he watches as it's done. The text says this dread had fallen upon them. Mordecai has been growing in power for some months now, and the people were in dread of him. Remember, the last guy that held Mordecai's position just decided to wipe out an entire race of people. And the king said, yeah, go ahead, do it. Let's get it done. Here's my authority. This guy is a man of power. So you probably would say, you know what? If Haman had that kind of power, what could Mordecai do? What they didn't stop and think about most of all was Haman was a wicked and evil God-hater. Mordecai is a righteous and just man. They really didn't have anything to be worried about, but God put the dread of Mordecai on them, so they're afraid to go against him. The result of this, that people in the government were turning in droves to become Jewish, to join the religion of Israel to side with the Jews. Apparently, uh, there is a truth that a righteous ruler can do much good, as much good as an unrighteous one like Haman can do, except now in the opposite direction. In verse 5, the Jews had such an upper hand that they were able to do whatever to their enemies they wanted to do. Note that the Israelis only killed those people that hated them. No one who was their enemy was killed. In the Citadel of Susa, the Jews on the thirteenth of Adar killed five hundred of their enemies, but uh, Ruth knew. I'm sorry, Ruth, Esther knew that there were more left. They didn't have enough time to kill everybody that day in the capital city, so uh, they also killed the ten sons of Haman. Make sure we remember that. And Haman's whole family, for some reason, hated the Jews. They're now dead. And uh, again, it is said that the motive for the Jews was. Preservation of their lives, not the death uh, of people for no good reason, and not to plunder. Verses 11 to 15. The battle for the preservation of God's people was decisive. God can and always does preserve a remnant of righteous people to follow him. He's doing that today. In verses 11 and 12, the king learns, wow, 500 people in the capital city. Men have been put to death, including the sons of Haman. He wondered what what the body count must be in the 127 provinces that he rules. What is going on everywhere else if I've lost 500 here? And he also wants to make sure that Queen Esther, okay, do you have all your requests made? Is there anything else I can do for you as long as we're letting this go on? And sure enough, Esther says, yes, there is something. And she said, we need one more day to rid Susa of all of our enemies. So the king said, okay, you get one more day. So... We, we took care of it on the 13th. Now we got the 14th to finish it off, and that's what's going to happen. And Esther seeks that which pleases the king. He was pleased by Esther, and so he's pleased by this, so he lets it go one more day in the capital city. She asked for that day to destroy the haters of the Jews in Susa at the citadel. She asked to have the dead bodies of Haman's sons impaled, and that would serve to warn the people that if you uh, wanted to not end up like they were, Uh, You better back off on the Jews. It is also because the sins of the fathers often recur in the sons. Why would you kill his sons? Because the sons tend to resurrect the sins of a father. That happens even today. And so they didn't want that animosity against the Jews, so she wanted them dead. Because they could also seek revenge besides that. So it happened. In verses 14 and 15, the king commands it, and it is done. An extra day of fighting ends up giving the Jews a body count of 800 in Susa. They've gotten rid of all of their enemies. That's a lot of enemies to have not done this extra day. Perhaps Ahasuerus was thinking that this is a way to rid his kingdom of two major warring factions, and he sided with the Jews because his wife is Jewish. Notice that this was not about plunder either. This helps explain why Mordecai was growing in power greater and greater because God was pushing the dread of him on the populace. Then in 16 to 19, we learned that victories in life lead us to celebrate and feast. In verse 16, the, the Jews and the rest of the kingdom turn in a number of those dead at 75,000 people. They didn't take their plunder. It's still there. The reasons the Jews assembled was to defend themselves and their children. Outside of Susa, in chapter 19, chapter 9, verse 17, the day after the battles, the Jews declared a day of feasting and celebration. The Susa Jews, however, fought one more day on the 14th of Adar. And so their rest came on the 15th day of Adar. So here's what happened out in the rural areas outside of Susa. They finished everything in one day. On the 14th, they celebrate. In Susa, they didn't get the job done on the 13th. Esther says, give me another day. God, through through Ahasuerus or Xerxes, gave him another day, and they got rid of 300 more. Then they rest on the 15th. So the Jewish celebration of Purim is now being celebrated sort of on two different days. We're going to learn next time uh, how that's all brought together and what the king is going to do about that but the whole point is it took more time in Susa than it did everywhere else now as we've gone through that and we know the the minutia of, of what's going on in our, in our account I want to stop as we end here and I want to ask you a few things God has never been mentioned in this book and he won't be no sign of a prayer only thing that comes close to religious observance is once they fasted for the lives of the Jews. But you ask, and people ask in the past, why should we put the book of Esther in the Bible when it doesn't even mention God's name? Get it out of there. That's because those are people that look at the sky and they just see the stars that are there. They don't see the God who is behind them. So God has never been mentioned, but the question is, and, I, and of course, I preach this to myself too, all right? Do you see him? Do you see him? Do you see him every day in your life? What's going on with you? Isn't this what life is like most every day for a believer? And I don't mean we're engaged in combat and we're killing people. I'm not talking about that. But the fact that you're trying to do your best to get through this life and do the right things and please God and follow him and he doesn't always, you know, at the morning start out with a brief and say, okay, here, Greg, here's what I want you to do today. Here's what's going to happen. And uh, this is going to take place. And I, here's how I want you to respond. No, that doesn't happen. In fact, if it happens, it's very rare that God's going to tell you something that, that you need to know on the spot. He does do that once in a while. But most of the time, he's silent. We are praying, but do we pray by faith? Of course. We don't see God. He doesn't send a prophecy about our life and situation on a daily basis. Probably in your life, never. My life, never. He doesn't appear in a dream to us to show us what to do or what he's going to do. Life sometimes is pretty normal this way. However, we know him and we see him everywhere we look all day long. If you work at the school, you see him at the school every day in what you're doing. If you're a mechanic, you see him as you're doing your mechanic work. If you're farming, you see him when you're out on the farm because you have one eye on heaven. You're looking for him to do something, and he does. Do you see his hand say, for instance, in a medical situation, even though that situation is filled with the things that you see, like doctors and nurses and specialists and medical machinery and medicines, he's there all the time. None of that stuff would work if it wasn't for him. Is he the topic when you try to explain the miraculous in the mundane ways of life? If we will look for him in the situations, whatever that is, I think we will be able to see everywhere that he's taking care of us and he's taking care of everything. Even if I don't understand Even even if I didn't ask for that. Even if it's been a while since I've even prayed to him, to my shame. But even if it's been like that. God is always working. You want to know what to learn from this book? One of them is God is always working as powerfully, listen, when we don't hear from him or see him as he does when people are hearing from him and seeing him. Look at the history of the Bible. There were periods of time God as a prophet or prophets there all the time telling the people and they're, of course, rejecting them and not doing what they say. And then we have these long periods of time where God was saying nothing. In fact, the Bible says at one point in, in his day, word from the Lord was to say the least scarce. Either way, we're living for the Lord. We're living for Jesus because God is still at work and God will act on you and your situation as well. Do you see him through those situations? Has he appeared to you? Can you see evidence of his hand that work is what we're talking about. It takes great spiritual maturity to be an Esther and a Mordecai. But by faith, you are no different than they are. They were just ordinary people. Hadassah, was a young Jewish girl who did what young Jewish girls did. They helped around the house, helped her adopted father, loved him, loved the family, and all of a sudden she's in a palace. So here's some applications at the uh, bottom there in your bulletin. Number one, the plans and purposes of men will be upended by God if they are in the way of his will. Even in the end times, the Bible tells us that there's going to be enemies of Israel that will come to attack them. They think they're going to annihilate them from the land and God sends his power and they will be annihilated to such a point that Israel will gather their weapons of war and the Bible says they will burn them for seven years. That's a victory. Secondly, when you are on God's side, remember that no foe can stand against you. Thirdly, God blesses pure motives. It wasn't about plundering those who hated them. It was not about misplaced motivation. They did what they did to survive with their families, and God gave them the opportunity. And finally, this. If my voice will hold out, here we go. We are required to step forward in faith to fight the battles God places before us. And when we do, the power of heaven goes with us I hope you believe that because it's true let's pray together Heavenly Father I want to thank you for this time that we've had together around your word I want to thank you for the things that you have been teaching us I want to thank you that you always hear us you always are working with us You send your angels to protect us, to to manipulate events so we can be where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. And then we need to decide to be doing the things you called us to do. We have a world that is in desperate need of a relationship with our Lord Jesus. We don't know how late the day or the hour is before your coming, but we sense that some of the signs that you gave are beginning to happen and we're on the threshold. So make us ever so much more concerned and loving for the people who need you. And may we make it our goal and our passion to reach them with the gospel of Christ, of course, through your empowerment and your help. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
1: If you would please open your hymnals to number 364 and please stand. We will close by singing, My Jesus, I Love Thee. We will sing verses 1 and 4. My Jesus, I love Thee. I know
0: Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we do want to thank you this morning that you are sovereign,
1: uh, that you are in control, uh, that you are a righteous and just God. Uh, Father, we just pray that uh, we can see that through eyes of faith and uh, grow in our faith and trust in you every day. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.